Hey, this is Dr. Jenna Bice with Heal at Home Moms. This is the podcast where we discuss all things motherhood and postpartum issues, but also just all things pelvic floor, basically the things that I tackle in my job that I think that all moms around the world should get to know. Um, And that's what we talk about here. So let's take a listen. So yeah, I just wanted to kind of talk about, uh, I like just kind of keeping as authentic as possible, yeah. but therefore I also honestly haven't thought too much about, <laughs> about it yet. Oh. Um, this is the wing it episode. <laughs> yes. Well, they always are actually. They always are. Okay. So I want to introduce my friend and patient, Jess. Jess, you want to say hello? Hi. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> so I actually had asked her this last week, and she's so awesome that she wanted to um, share. But I kind of was wondering if she wanted to share a little bit of, of her story, just because a lot of people deal with the things that Jess has dealt with. And um, and has she's gone through physical therapy with me, doing the home therapy, and um, she's doing really well. So I kind of wanted to get her story and input on things. So this is where she can tell you that I'm an absolutely terrible physical therapist. <laughs> <laughs> we all know that's not true. <laughs> but um, it's been really fun also to get to know you throughout therapy as well. But so just first talk to me about um, a little bit of your story and history. Sure. Doing this is really interesting because I feel like I'm constantly analyzing and, and thinking about this in my head. And this is one of the first opportunities I've ever had to have like condoned oversharing. <laughs> <laughs> yes, please tell us as much as you yeah. want. No, yeah, absolutely. So um, it's a pretty long story. I actually thought a, lo- a little bit about what I was going to talk about when I was in the car on my way over here. And I realized that suddenly what should have taken five minutes turned into like 20. Yeah. Well, I mean, but you I think, have some medical history. You have yeah, some stuff. I think, and I, I'm going to say everything and you can edit that whatever sounds, you want. That sounds great. But I think it's important that I start from the beginning because I think a lot of people will have had a similar experience and not necessarily notice um, or, or not have otherwise noticed that maybe there's a pattern yes. that they can pick up on. Well, like you said, so first, I just want to interject that she was so gracious in wanting to share her story <laughs> because one of the reasons you said to me that you were open to it is that um, you were saying that like the average statistics on like how long it takes for someone to be diagnosed with even one of the things that you've been diagnosed with can be eight to 10 years. And that's a lot of seeing different doctors who don't know or them sending you on to someone else or them just saying, I don't know, good luck, right? So for people to hear your story, hopefully people can identify with that and it can help guide them as well. Yeah, I really hope so. Um, And some women never end up being diagnosed or ending up finding the appropriate care for them, which is really unfortunate. Mm-hmm. We're not um this is like a whole other whole other tangent before I even get into my story, but I know this is something you're passionate about too, Jenna, and we've talked mm-hmm. about this together before. Um, women's reproductive health and 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 what things should feel like, we're never taught that. No, not at all for no. most people. Yeah. And I can only speak for the US, but I have a feeling that in most places we're never taught that pain isn't normal. Mm-hmm. Or we're never taught what things should look and feel like. So we we often find ourselves in a situation that feels really isolated. Unless mm-hmm. you unless you're super comfortable talking to your friends or your family or you have a phenomenal practitioner yeah. that you're with. Yeah, these are taboo know. topics too. So people aren't often are hesitant to bring them up and often doctors don't ask or um, you know, it's just or sidestepped. So. Exactly. Like I was telling you, one of my um my gynecologists before I switched to the 
fantastic gynecologist I'm with now. I came in complaining of pelvic pain and never once did she actually do a pelvic exam to assess for pain. And that does blow my mind. But that's the thing. That's, I mean, sadly, that's really common. Like, yeah. I know our listeners have heard me say before that it's way more common than it should be for women after they have babies to not have a pelvic exam. But you're describing pain. Why would you not check the area that's hurting? Like, exactly. I don't. I don't understand. Well, it's so, but that happens a lot. People are like, well, here's some medicine or avoid the activity that hurts. And that's all they'll say. Well, and the worst, I think the worst thing that they can say, which is something that's said often, and it was something that said to me, is just that there's nothing we can do. Yeah. Some women are used to it in their head, too. Oh my God. Okay. We won't go on that road. All right. No, (laughs) we can come back to this, but I'll start from the very beginning. Okay. So it started when I went through puberty. Um, So I was. I went through puberty young. I was maybe 11 years old. And it's really common when you first start experiencing your menses to have an irregular cycle. So for a while, like didn't think anything of it. But then when I got to be like 13, 14, and it should have settled in, um, it wasn't. And I was having other issues like really terrible acne and and everything. So when I started having my well woman mm-hmm. exams, um, when I first saw a gynecologist, um, they kind of took an assessment of all of the kind of superficial symptoms that I was experiencing. They were like, hmm, this sounds kind of like um, polycystic ovary syndrome, PCOS. Mm-hmm. So they did um, a pelvic ultrasound and found that I had little like the typical cystic follicles mm-hmm. in my ovaries. So I was diagnosed then. And at the ripe young age of 14, I was put directly onto oral contraceptives to help manage that condition. Yeah. Um didn't know any better at the time, thought that was the, I was told that that was the yeah. only method of treatment. That is so hard because still that's one of the main methods of treatment for PSOS yeah. for sure. I mean, so, but yes, 14 is a really young age to be put yeah. on something for what, like the rest of your life? Yeah. I, I mean, mean, they just know. said do it indefinitely. And if I was 14. I didn't know any better. Oh, and of course. You're my gonna... mom, you know, wanted to just do what was best for me. So she agreed to it. I wasn't sexually active at that age. So it was kind of just like, yeah, you symptom know, management. Taking, yeah, exactly. Yeah. It was just a medication I took. It wasn't birth control. It was just. Yeah. And it's to keep you from ovulating, basically, which is. Exactly. So therefore, the ovaries, you can't get the cysts. So that's the reason behind you're blocking the hormone to keep the cysts from forming. Yeah. Um, fortunately, at that point, I wasn't experiencing any pain. I didn't really have symptoms other than the irregular periods and the acne, but they just kind of did it preventatively, which it was fine. Yeah, but it's true that like if I were if I were 14 years old, because hormones have pluses and minuses, depending who you are and how young you are. And right. Um, There's actually been some research that like long term birth control starting a young age can lead to pain and other. Well, imagine that. (laughs) And other issues. And of course, it's not everyone. And there are times where it's absolutely appropriate. But if your only symptoms were like, I think it's just good for people to be educated so they can make the right decision for them. like. Like if you're not having any pain and you're not having cyst rupture and like it might be worth it to you to choose to not get on the hormone, right? Yeah. So I didn't know any better at that point. Of course. Um, yeah. And and I feel like most parents of young girls in that situation are just going to immediately do what the doctor says instead of looking for alternative well, yeah, solutions. Because they weren't taught anything either, mm-hmm. right? Like the generation above us. Yeah. I mean, I don't think they know more about our bodies than we do. No, I'm hoping. I'm. There's kind of a women's health movement going on yes, right now, is. which is really 
I know we could talk for hours, <laughs> which is really exciting. And I'm hoping that this is the beginning of sort of a sea change um, and that future generations, Gen Z and beyond, yep. yeah, um, are going to grow up in a society that's much more open to talking about and much more interested in educating women about their own bodies. Makes me so excited. Okay, so you were diagnosed PCOS at 14. Yes. And then what from there? I stayed on hormonal birth control until I was um, 22. I just graduated college. I was kind of transient at that point. Like I went to college in Boston and I kind of moved to New Jersey and then my family was still in California. So I was back and forth. I didn't really have a dedicated physician, but I'd noticed that I started to experience some really rough hormonal symptoms and emotional symptoms. Um, my boyfriend at the time, like... <laughs> would always just kind of like watch out for me a little bit because I would have really, really serious um, like premenstrual emotional symptoms and get super touchy. And it was just kind of a nightmare for both of us. So I was living in New Jersey at the time. I finally started doing research, which I think is sort of a turning point for a lot of people mm -hmm. when they start taking things into their own hands and really doing a lot of digging and not necessarily just looking to mainstream sources of knowledge, but also looking at um, anecdotal information from other women who have experienced something similar. Yeah. Like you're saying blogs, um, yeah. right? Blogs are huge. A lot of people sharing their stories and mm -hmm. information on Instagram. Um, there's a lot of, you mentioned Reddit the other day as yes, like a Reddit cool source. such a huge help. Yeah. So Massive. like you were saying, I know it can be kind of scary to just search the entire internet, right? Because um, there is some really good stuff on there and then there's some not so, much, so helpful um, but when you really start learning about people's individual, really what you're describing are case studies. Yeah. In the medical world, we call them case studies. So it's like someone goes through their track, right? And I mean, that's how we learn things. We yeah. look at how things affected a certain individual. Exactly. And when you start doing that research and you start looking at these people's experiences, there start to be moments when it's like you're looking into a mirror mm. and you start thinking, oh, that's me. Mm -hmm. I've been there. I feel that right now. Yeah. What did they do? Yeah. So um, like, kind of no just, one's told me anything. So maybe I can glean something from their exactly. path. Yeah. It kind of just opened my world. So the first thing I did was find a more holistic uh, kind of functional physician. It was about 40 minutes away from where I was living at the time. And my again, my boyfriend at the time that I was crazy for like driving almost an hour to go see a doctor that I don't think took insurance. Yeah. So I was taking a little bit of a leap of faith. But mm -hmm. um did a lot of testing with them. They tested for food sensitivities and um, like hormonal balance and all kinds of things. Mm -hmm. And um, unsurprisingly, I was really estrogen dominant after almost 10 years on hormonal birth control. Imagine that. Right? Yeah, crazy. Yeah. <laughs> Super nuts. <laughs> so their recommendation to me was to find an, an alternative contraceptive method to give my body a chance to kind of even out. So that's the point when... And see what happens too, right? Yeah. Like see what your symptoms do off birth control with PCOS. Yeah. And at that point, I I mean, I never, I wasn't having any symptoms. I didn't think anything of it. I just, you know, I was like, I, I just had this single-minded mission then to be like, okay, I need to not be putting synthetic hormones into my body and see if it helps with the emotional side of things. Mm -hmm. So... I did that. I found a gynecologist. The only time I went to them is when I went to get the Paragard copper IUD inserted and I came back for a like a check afterwards and it was done. So I stopped taking hormonal birth control 
And I was really, really successful with the Paragard IUD for about three and a half years. Mm -hmm. Um, I was much more of an even keel emotionally. I lost a lot of weight, which I didn't really expect. I kind of made a lot of other changes during that time as well to my diet. I was living in New York and started working in New York. So I was walking everywhere all the time. Mm -hmm. And I was the healthiest that I had ever remembered being, which was really, really cool. Then in 2015, I moved down to Chattanooga. Everything was going great. And then about six to eight months after I moved here, I started experiencing pain. And at first, it just felt um, like frequency of, of urination. Like I felt like I had to urinate more often. Almost like a UTI kind of feeling. Where... Yeah. So that was my first thought, actually. Yeah. Like, oh, maybe I just have a UTI. So I treated for UTI. And it kind of went away. And I was like, okay, fine. Cool. Um, but then it came back. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's it's different from anything I've ever felt before. Mm-hmm. Because when you feel some, when your body feels something new, um, you in order to process it, your like your mind tries to make sense of it. So it, sometimes it can be really, really difficult to understand what you're feeling and where you're actually feeling it. Yeah, because that's a part of our bodies that we're fairly disconnected with for the most part. Yeah. So then you start having symptoms and it's really challenging to pinpoint things that you're like, ah, you know, I don't know. Um, by the way, I'll interject that um, something I've seen through my practice as a physical therapist in pelvic health is recurrent infections or often misdiagnosed as recurrent infections um, is also like associated with hypertonicity and tightness in the pelvic floor. So yeah. So it's one of those <laughs> things that I think people often come to me and it's when they're like, I keep getting infections and and their doctors are likely not even, I mean, they're, they're like, the culture was negative, but they went ahead and put me on the medicine. Just in case. Yes. And it's like, you're actually having different symptoms that kind of mimic an infection. Because that's the closest point of comparison we have. Yes. Yes. So we don't know how else to classify it in our brains. It's so interesting to me that like, I mean, they're trained to do cultures and assess these things. They're not really often trained the doctors to like look into other ways these symptoms may be created, like mus- the muscular component of what's going on. Now, so, what's, that, what's that saying? If you hear hoofbeats, it's a horse, not a zebra. Isn't that like a, ah, a thing with doctors? I like that. That's actually yeah. not one that I think I've heard before, but yeah, I really well, like it. So I think California. that's <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, I think, I think that's important girl. for people to understand um, that doctors especially in medical school are trained to look at the most look common. For the, yeah, for the most yeah. likely thing and not the least likely thing or yeah. a less likely but thing. But sometimes it is that, right? Exactly. Yeah. So you were having like this like urgency pain symptom. Well, did you I, also have like lower abdominal pain? I or? did. So yeah. it's like um, kind of <laughs> like I'm gesturing right now, <laughs> kind of like from my lower pelvis and then it would radiate like down my right inner thigh. It's all on my right side. I mean, through that sort of uh, like hip crease. Like, it, yeah, area. it's called like inguinal. Basically, yeah, yes. the, the right front of your hip crease. Like, if you if you bend your leg, it's where that creases in exactly. your pants. Yeah. So it was all through there. Um, but then the only like symptom I, I was like, and it wasn't even pain. It's not like a sharp stabbing pain. It's discomfort. That's the word that I've become ironically most comfortable with using to describe it is just discomfort. It's not shooting stabbing pain. It's just, it's distracting. It makes sitting in certain positions uncomfortable. 
Um, it made it difficult to focus. It was just pretty persistent too. Very. Yes. And over time it became more and more persistent. Yeah. That's the um, thing that sucks about chronic pain is it tends to build. So people have this idea of, oh, it just hurts a little bit. I'm going to ignore it. And as a physical therapist, I'd like to encourage you to, um, to seek help because it's so much simpler to address and fix things as they start. Um, and then after several years, but that's the thing you, for instance, had no idea. Did no. you even know pelvic floor physical therapy was a thing? No, I didn't. So what happened was um, I went to gynecologist, told them what was happening, and they were like, okay, let's do an ultrasound. Let's see what's going on. Yeah. So over the next like few years, I had a few different ultrasounds. And as always, there were little cysts and stuff. Mm-hmm. And in, in one particular case, there was a larger cyst that almost looked like um, – it was on the outside of my ovary and almost on my like right fallopian tube. Mm-hmm. And I thought, okay, like, great, that's it. I just have cysts and it's causing pain. Like it was really easy to file it away as that. And it was really easy for my practitioners to file it away as that. Um, but no matter what we did, I just, I couldn't get relief. And at that point I still had the Paragard IUD um, because it's non-hormonal. My practitioner suggested that I go back on oral contraceptives as well to try to help manage the pain and the cyst situation since that's what we had kind of diagnosed it as. So that was a roller coaster. Yeah. Um, for a couple years, I was on probably three or four different types of oral contraceptives and had just a storm of emotional symptoms. Yeah. It was really terrible. See, because it is tricky. And I do want to interject, of course, that there are plenty of people who have PCOS who birth control is a really wonderful option. Yes. I mean, so a lot of people, it is their saving grace and they're and it's great. It's what fixes it. But for other people, I mean, I know I was really sensitive to birth control. And if I, they've also suggested I get back on and I'm like, you know, I'm going to try everything I can to, to not do not that. that. Um, but that's because I know my body responds poorly to birth control. So it's like some people, I mean, medicine might fix one thing, but then it could possibly give you a different negative. Exactly. And it changes over time, too. I was yeah. fine for almost 10 years. And then trying to go back on birth control after a few years of being off of it, I had a really terrible reaction to it. Yeah. So it just depends on the person. You can mm-hmm. try it and see. But so they suggested it. Um and you tried a couple things. Now, I know you also have been diagnosed with other things. So when did those diagnoses happen? September of 2017. I was supposed to be in a friend's wedding in D.C. And the night before I was supposed to fly out, I started experiencing the most terrible pain. Mm. I didn't know what was going on. It was right after I had left work on a Friday. So different than this like urgency. It was nagging. more stabbing. It yeah. was kind of like in my lower back. I couldn't move. It was almost bringing me to tears. And I have a pretty high pain tolerance. And I had been dealing with chronic pain for a couple of years at that point. Yeah. So I knew something was not right. I ended up calling my gynecologist after hours nurse and kind of asking them what I should do. I was worried. Like, I didn't, I didn't know what to do with it. I was worried that my IUD had become displaced. I was like, I'm going to have to, I have to travel mm-hmm. the next day. Like, I need to get this thing out of me. They told me um, to go to the ER. So I ended up in the ER the night before leaving for D.C. And, of course, I go to the ER. They tell me that they can't remove my IUD. You're so, like, yeah. I, well, I went also, to the ER for no reason. The ER, the ER is, like, a very important place for many reasons. But, I, I mean, I highly doubt they're specialized, trained in, like, 
pelvic floor dysfunction. No, they're not. They did the they did the same thing that my gynecologist. I, mean, I know that did. sounds ridiculous, but it's like I know that they're not. You know, like that's the place to go if you like get a head injury. You know, but definitely, it's, but not the place to go with like pelvic floor dysfunction pain. No, so. but what was interesting and disappointing about that experience is that every single person who treated me over the course of that evening was a woman. Hmm. My, no. my you said interesting and disappointing. What is? What do you mean by that? I I felt written off. Because it was pelvic pain? Because it was pelvic pain. They wanted uh, Because to. they didn't find anything terribly abnormal on the ultrasound that they did, aside from just the one cyst. Mm-hmm. Um, that was really hard. I was, in, I was in a ton of pain at that point. I was nervous about traveling was the it, next day Did you with have a female pain. doctor or did they? Everyone was female. The nurses were female. The doctor was female. The ultrasound tech was female. So did you think they were trying to cater because it's like a taboo I don't area? know. I mean, the moral of the story was I ended up being sent home with an ER bill after they told me that there was nothing they could do about it. Yeah. So I traveled to D.C. and got through that wedding few days um, in a ton of pain. I was able to fortunately get into my practitioner when I came back to Chattanooga. I was able to get in for an emergency appointment Mm -hmm. the following week when I was back and they removed the IUD. And I was like, so hopeful that that was going to be the fix and it wasn't Mm. um i expected a few days of discomfort after having that removed but you know a few days became a week and a week became two and it was back to where it was before it wasn't as sharp or severe it may very well have been that my iud was slightly off and that was causing more discomfort but um it certainly didn't help so fix it yeah finally a few months after that or even you know we, we continued down on that road for a really long time Finally, in the beginning of 2019, so it's now been <laughs> it's a very now long been time, a few, quite a few years um, of dealing with this and not having relief and not getting um, really any new information or support from my practitioner. She was finally like, look, OK, you've been on a lot of different birth control methods. Um, you've done this. You've done that. Let's go in there and see what's going on, um, which Again, it felt like a relief. Yeah. Um, so we set up a diagnostic laparoscopy, which is a fairly non-invasive. It's yeah. you know invasive in that it's surgery, but fairly non-invasive surgery where um, she went in. We had started to talk a little bit about maybe suspecting that there was endometriosis involved, which, spoiler alert, there was. Mm-hmm. Um, so in April of 2019, I had that surgery, and I remember coming out of it, and she told me, we found endometriosis, and when we did a cystoscopy, your bladder, we also found interstitial interstitial cystitis. Yep, and um, yeah, and which call- is something that a lot of people have never heard of. Yeah, which you can I had hear, never heard. You can of. hear it abbreviated IC, IC, and then also endometriosis is endo. Yeah, so exactly. people talk about endo and IC, um, but those are both pain conditions. So basically, the the interstitial cystitis is like the lining of the bladder is like very irritated. Um, kind of splotchy, scarred, right? In some cases, but not all. So there's so much that's still not known about IC, which is why it's so frustrating. Um, It's usually diagnosed as such based on like a correlation of symptoms rather than something definitive. Though in some cases there are what you were talking about. They're called Hunter's lesions, Mm -hmm. where if they do, if they, you know, put that camera inside your bladder and fill it up with water and look around and everything, you'll actually see those irritated lesions. Um, and everyone with that needs to be treated differently too, yeah. depending on what the symptoms are. 
But long story short, I went in for my follow-up appointment two weeks later, and I was more or less told, like, they gave me a pamphlet on how I, I should change my diet. Oh, I know. And that's, I remember that's when I was like, why don't you try this doctor? <laughs> which, yeah. I, which I always hesitate to do because, I mean, you always want to give everyone, you know, um, understand that, you know, you never know what's going on in that doctor's mind, et cetera. But, um, but there should be more information for those diagnoses than the pamphlet. Yeah. And I'm amazed that they never suggested physical therapy for you. Not Amongst once. other things. They gave, they told me I had endometriosis and that she excised as much of it as she could, but that it might come back which <laughs> was comforting and also not comforting at the same time. Yeah. Um, and then she gave me a pamphlet on IC and said, follow the diet. Yeah. So I, d- I mean, for a long time I did. I followed the diet. Yeah. I didn't see any improvement. You're a very good patient. I believe you followed the <laughs> diet. I feel like I've tried everything. It was such a relief to come out of that surgery with diagnoses. But at the same time, like that relief was really short lived because even when you know what the problem is, not understanding how to treat it leaves you feeling really hopeless. Yeah. And I think a lot of women with any form of pelvic pain, bladder pain, um, hopeless is a very good description because very few doctors know much about these things. Mm-hmm. I mean, it is to them, it is limited to a pamphlet because that might be the extent of their knowledge on it. I mean, it, it's a tricky thing. Like you said, it took years to even get diagnosed. Mm-hmm. And then once you were diagnosed, you weren't given much information. It just kind of was like, this is the way that you're supposed to be now. Yeah. So, so since then, and I think you, so Jess has very good self-awareness and very good awareness of her body <laughs> as well. So she did very well with physical therapy, yes. but I'm trying to remember, did you, um, well, so she's an awesome designer and she has actually helped design our website. <laughs> so did you literally like come to start thinking about it as an option for you because you came to know what I'm doing online and through my website? Um, yeah, actually I did. So well, is that kind of where that started? Full disclosure. Where you, like, learned about pelvic floor therapy? I, yeah, it is. Okay. So I, uh, I hope it's okay that I say this. Yeah. I work, right. so I work with Jenna's husband, Brian. We're both in <gasps> advertising. Yeah. I know. That's crazy. <laughs> that's how we initially met one another. So I've known Jenna peripherally for, um, several years now, but, um, there was one yeah. day. And like at, Brian tells everyone like, my wife does pelvic floor physical therapy. Well, yeah, but when, so when you were first starting Heal at Home Moms, Brian was telling me about it and he was telling me about you needing to sort of like get a website set up and everything. It's like, ooh, I do websites. Let me help. (laughs) Well, and I remember, I remember he told me, he's like, Jess wants to help because she really like believes in what you're doing. And because, you know, the the goal ultimately of all things Heal at Home Moms, whether it's this podcast or the stuff we post or the program we have, the goal is to raise awareness, to help people know that this type of help is out there. and yeah, it it makes me so happy that people write me and they're like, I found a PT in my area. I'm like, great. You know, so it's, that's the whole point of it is to help. Because one of the biggest problems in our culture is people still don't even know that help exists. Yeah. Or they, or they don't, aren't getting diagnosed or they aren't having someone give them the time that they need to really talk through their problems. Exactly. So even, you did learn about it through. I did. At Home Moms but and Brian, basically. Even when I first started working with you, I thought, I it, like I didn't make the connection that it was for me. Ah, yeah. Because, well, because I thought like, oh, I'm not a postpartum mother. Yeah, <laughs> I, I've never had a kid. <laughs> I may never have a kid. Um, I just have pelvic pain, so like yes. I'm gonna help you because I really believe in supporting women and women's health. Mm-hmm. But like, but yeah, you thought of yourself in a different category, basically. Whereas pelvic floor therapy is not only for moms, for sure. Yes, like there is that. A, if you take away one thing yes. from this episode of the podcast, that's it. 
If you're experiencing pelvic pain or discomfort, seek out a physical I, – I shouldn't diagnose people or oh, tell yeah. them how to treat, but like seek out the opinion of a good pelvic floor PT because it could change your life. Absolutely. And unless literally the only situation where you can't go directly to the PT by yourself is if you have Medicare, Yes. then you need a script from a doctor. But otherwise, you can – with most insurances or like where I don't take insurance, you know, you can just go directly to the physical therapist mm-hmm. if they have their doctorate. So that's really cool nowadays that you can be, you literally can be your own advocate and search for a pelvic floor physical therapist in your area. I am going to interject. I want to make sure that pelvic floor PT has been trained appropriately and has been trained internally. Just because if you're dealing with pelvic pain, you need someone to be able to assess the the pain. Um, And there are a lot of pelvic floor physical therapists who have not been trained Mm -hmm. internally. So. Um, yeah, so the really the most direct way is to ask. So if someone says they do women's health or that's it's referred to as women's health or pelvic floor physical therapy, before you set up an appointment, you can you can ask where they were trained. Um, and for instance, there's there's several good options, but Herman and Wallace is a very common good one. That's where I was trained. And then um, and then ask if they were trained for internal. Um, because to so just ask them, I mean, they'll have, they'll, they'll tell you, um, but there are several places that it's not required legally to say you do that. You don't have to, you actually don't have to have any training on women's health to say you do it. So there's just, um, the point being that as you're being your own advocate, make sure you also ask the awkward question. But I mean, it's one thing I think that, um, if you're wanting to just like heal your, your, Tummy muscles, it's a totally different thing. If you're dealing with pelvic pain, you need someone who's been trained in that. So you can ask, do you specialize in pelvic pain mm-hmm. and do you, have you been trained to do internal work? And make sure that the answer is yes before you spend your time and money to go see them. So that's, that's my opinion. I feel so lucky because I got handed an expert on easy mode. I didn't have to go <laughs> searching. I had the connection. But it still, it took me, I mean, it took me almost a year from when yeah. I started helping you with Heal at Home Moms to when I was finally like, hey, Jenna, so <laughs> can wh- you help me? <laughs> so what was the thing? What was the thing that made you decide to take action? So I think anyone who's ever experienced chronic pain will understand this. But for those who don't, you look normal on the outside, but it really wears you down internally. So I was getting to a point where I was just I was just really worn down. I have a high stress job. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was getting to the point where I would have to take a half day off every once in a while or even sometimes a full day just because I had enough pain that I couldn't focus on what I was doing. Mm. So um, it was really starting to take away from and I love my job. So it was really starting to take away from the parts of my life that were important to me. It took yeah. away time from my job. It made me less inclined to be social. It was mm. taking time away from my partner. Yeah. Um, and it just so is having a huge effect on your life. Well, but there's it, a point where you're like enough. It's hard on you and it's hard on the people around you, especially I, I have so much empathy for my partner because he like, you know, it must be really difficult for every single time you ask your, your girlfriend if they're OK for me to say like, mm. yeah, like no, I'm not having a good day, I'm having a bad pain day or. And for that to be and to not normal. know what to do about it, to not be able to yeah. do anything, so it was creating tension there too, which was really hard. Um, 
so I was just, I just got, I hit kind of felt like I hit rock bottom mm. a little bit in terms of just being able to keep going yeah. and being okay. Well, I think it's also really hard to keep going when you have daily pain, when you don't see any solutions or like end in sight, right? Yeah. I, I mean, I had come to the conclusion at that point that I had two chronic conditions and nothing could help me because there's still so much that's not known about IC or endo. I feel like surely at some point we probably had a discussion about something vague, like I see and me being like, oh no, there's a lot you can do for that. It was that. actually, it was, it was Brian. Yay. Okay. It was actually Brian. I was like, I feel like I remember I, a conversation, but it's so vague because I wasn't a part of it. <laughs> so <laughs> I bet Brian, I'm sure Brian it was told actually, me. It was, it was during the workday over Slack, actually. He's been, first of all, you have the most incredible husband. Thank you. He's been such a wonderful yeah. peer and friend to me since we started working together. He's a very and big believer in like public health and oh yeah he's your biggest fan like normalizing whole, well, second only to me <laughs> <laughs> maybe also tyler sorry tyler <laughs> i know i was telling jess i was like tyler knows a ton about public health now because he does all of our podcasts yeah, my immediate reaction was like your wife is so lucky <laughs> <laughs> so um so you talked about it with brian and well, he was like jenna he can would help check with in that on me he would check in on me being such a wonderful friend he would say how are you feeling today and i'd be like oh, i'm not having a good day and he would be the one who would be like you should go rest. I'll cover you. You should go rest. But finally, he he had brought it up a few times. Like, you should talk to Jenna. And I was like, really? Like, I, know I you don't want to me that well. Yeah, I didn't yeah. know you that well. I I was afraid. I was afraid too. Of like, I have like medical trust issues. Like, I was afraid to try yet another thing that wasn't going to help me. Mm. Um. But yeah, I think it was like May of. Was it May of this this year? It was, yeah, it was May. Yeah, it was May of this year. We kind of took a break for like a month and a half. For your surgery. Yep. Yeah. And we jumped back in. So it was like spring of this year. We had both been quarantining. Um, and I finally was like, Brian, can you give me Jenna's number? I need to ask her about PT. Like, I'm going to do it. I'm going to try it. Yeah. I was really nervous. I didn't really have any expectations going into it. Um, and of course, I like I'd only met you peripherally a few times at that point, but um, that I mean, I hate the, yeah. the cliche of this, but the rest is history. <laughs> well, and I know that a lot of people and patients feel hesitant because these are also like, like you said, you're going through it all over again, but also you have to like go through a lot of like deeply personal history of pain and all these other things, but. It, I know people always feel hesitant. I want to remind people that as a physical therapist, as your medical provider, this is what we do. Like, it does mm -hmm. not feel like we're like, no, yes, please tell us everything. Like, it's going to help us help you. Um, yeah, and I know, I mean, I know I'm much more open probably than the average patient, which especially is, in the South. <laughs> which is also so, why you're willing to share your story. So thank you very yes, much. Yes, of course. Um, but yes, and then so therapy, I mean, there it involves so much, but I mean, it's so cool because there's some direct treatment, of course, on the on the pain, but then there's also training and then there's education and then there's um, needling habit forming. Oh, yeah, we've yeah, done a needling. ton of dry needling. <laughs> so and and myofascial work and bladder mobilizations and all these yeah. things may not mean anything to you guys. But the point being that there's we did we do taping. I mean, it's there's, not a one size fits all solution no. by any means. And there's even been like, I remember we made like some pretty good progress, but you still had some symptoms. And then you were like, hey, I'm actually feeling some stuff in my jaw. And I actually feel some stuff in the yes. crease of my hip. And I was like, that connection. Yes. And it was really cool for, so you giving me input 
um, helps then guide treatment. It's like, I, I even told you, I was like, yeah, that makes sense anatomically, but it's not the first line. Like you were saying, it's not always the first line of defense mm-hmm. that's needed. Sometimes it's something else that may make sense, but it's not where we automatically go to. Mm-hmm. So it's been really um, cool to, like, for instance, work with you long enough to be able to find other mm-hmm. pieces of the puzzle. Yeah. And long story short, through working with Jenna, I discovered that I didn't really have food triggers like I was told I probably would. My primary trigger is stress mm-hmm. and I hold a lot of tension in my jaw and in my pelvic floor. So, um, which is very common actually. Yeah. So, but, but, it, but it no took, one knows it took me in a direction right? that I never yeah. expected to be taken. Um, so I've taken the approach of being more mindful and making sure I get enough sleep of addressing like mental health mm-hmm. outside of it too. And, and of course, continuing to pursue physical therapy. And now my PT sessions with Jenna pretty much look like she arrives at my home. And I say, hey, these are the parts of my body that are hurting today. <laughs> and that's where we've been holding stress, yeah. right? And we check back in with other things too. But yeah, we're kind of like, okay. And of course, we're like, we're pretty close to being done. Mm-hmm. And so it's it's more of a thing of what few things are left that we can maybe tweak and improve. Um, and yeah, and you're increasing activity and exercise mm-hmm. and other things. But with physical therapy, one of the things that, especially when it has to do with pain, it's really hard for people to understand this, but often you have to back off things before you can jump in. Yeah. So for instance, you were doing wonderful like weightlifting. Like, yeah, but I was going hard. I know. You were doing pretty heavy duty and I feel bad. And <laughs> just so you guys know, my goal is never to take things away from people long term, but I'm a believer in taking things away short term if we need to, to heal and get better so that you can go back into those things. Mm-hmm. So there were several reasons why that wasn't a great option for you in that season of healing. And so we did back off and we replaced it with other more gentle things. But now I know I told you, okay, we need to get back into some of these things that you love. And we do it gradually and we assess your pain and tension along the way. Mm -hmm. But I mean, the goal, of course, is to having good strength is very helpful for your body, but only if you also know how to prevent and keep away tension. So you want to have- Can we talk about that? Yeah. So good strength, but not tight. Yeah. Yes. Hypertonic pelvic floor. Yes. Hypertonicity. Yes. Um, yeah. So that's my issue. <laughs> that's my issue is that I hold a lot of tension in my pelvic floor. But when you continue to hold tension in your muscles over such a long period of time, it can actually weaken them. Yes. Yeah. So people and I actually did a post about this recently, but that we don't want a tight pelvic floor. You want a strong and relaxed pelvic floor. Yes. So and that's something that I've there's some people who are like more open, like, oh, I didn't know that. Interesting. I've, I have a lot of women actually like very resistant to the idea because they've been told their whole lives that there's supposed to be tightness. Yes. Yeah. And so they're like, no, 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 I don't want to relax. I don't want to. And I'm like, you're, you're going to keep hurting if you don't learn how to relax these muscles. And also in the long run, it doesn't. I've, a few people, I feel like I don't they don't quite believe me <laughs> um, because to them, it's always made sense this way. But I'm like. If you want to get stronger, you actually need to learn how to let go. Yeah. And that, and same thing true, like, I mean, the funny example would be like if someone like clenches their butt all the time and they walk around with like their butt squeezed or whatever, they're actually going to have pain, tightness, and they're actually going to get weaker. Yeah. So it's, that's true for any muscle in your body because it leads to spasm and dysfunction. And if you're not getting a full contract release, then it's actually going to be less effective in its contraction and therefore you can get weaker. So it. Um, but it's one of those things that people think, no, like contracting is good and mm-hmm. it's going to help you get strong. 
but actually you want the full relaxation, full contraction. And the same thing's true for pelvic floor, but it's especially tricky because a lot of people hold tension in their pelvic floor and they have no idea. It's not like most other parts of your body where you can just easily feel and like feel the muscle knot or whatever it is. It takes a lot of building awareness. Mm-hmm. And we used biofeedback. So we that's, did. that's yeah. one of the things that we use as like a tool to like I hate it. connect. I know. We don't do it anymore because so I know she hates it. But and it, no, it was important though. It was important yeah. for me to understand that even when I thought I was relaxed, I wasn't. Yeah, because that's the thing. So I think it's with people with hypertonicity often – You'll put on the biofeedback or you know whatever it is, and you'll look at it, and they're like, "I don't understand. I see tension on the machine, but I feel relaxed." I'm like, yes, you've been tight so long, it feels normal that it is. It feels normal. It feels like you're resting and you're not. Yeah. So then you have to f- try to figure out what to do to get that lower and realize that's actually relaxed. So it is a useful tool, um, if for for no other reason, even for to sometimes to prove to someone that they are not relaxed when they think they are. Yeah. Right. So, um, but it also can be infuriating because you were like, I want that number to go down. Um, but we got there. We, we did got get there. there. It yep. takes, I mean, I think. In combination, in combination takes, with manual therapy, it's very, yeah. yeah. It takes consistency. Yes. So, but all of that being said, um, yeah. So thank you for sharing your story because in general, you're doing much better, right? I am. So the past, I had a little bit of a flare up a few weeks ago because of some stress, but we worked it out. And the past couple of weeks have been the most comfortable that I've been in a really long time. Yay. So. And so that's the thing. So the goal for PT is to gradually get out, get out the tension, help with muscle flexibility, coordination. Um, but then, and as things are at a good baseline, now we want to increase back up other things yes. and decrease therapy so we can see your body's ability to maintain and tolerate on its own. Yeah. And let me just say too that um, – like, don't don't go into pelvic floor PT with the expectation that it's going to cure. Yes. Um. So, like, I think I I kind of I really wanted I really wanted to just like have this not be my life for mm-hmm. a really long time. I really wanted to just be able to figure out what thing was going to happen so that I could just set it and forget it and never have to think about it again. And it's kind of like a grieving process that you have to go through when you're diagnosed with a chronic condition. Yeah. Where you have to finally accept that it's a part of your life, but it doesn't have to define yes. your life. So yes. what I really love about PT has not just been getting to spend so much time with Jenna, <laughs> but um, has really been that it's helped me with that acceptance phase. It's helped me understand that even that accepting doesn't mean giving in. It doesn't mean giving up. It just means understanding and building self-awareness and knowing that even if you do have a flare-up, you're now equipped with better self-awareness and better tools to get through it and get yep. to the next good period. Yeah. Um, yeah. A lot of these conditions, I mean, so many people, because like you said, because it's a, a chronic condition, people are told mistakenly, well, there's nothing you can do. This is your life now. There is an element of that that is true. Right. There's an element of this isn't going to just disappear. We are not going to cure it. However, we can improve and manage it. So we can make your quality of life. Yes. As a physical therapist, I focus on quality of life. So we can work on your quality quality of life to make it much better. Mm-hmm. But yes, I mean, I, I think I told you at one point that like, yeah, if something happens, something stressful, or maybe you overdo some exercise, something gets flared up. Don't worry. We can always bring it back down. Mm-hmm. You can learn how to bring it back down. 
But like you said, I mean, it, it may be a lifelong a- awareness and some modifications, but the goal is to make it as good as possible, to make it as easy as possible, um, to as pain-free as possible. Exactly. That doesn't mean it's 100% pain-free, but it does mean we can make it much better than if we didn't do intervention. Yeah, it's not, it's not uh, kind of, it's not ruling my life anymore. Is the thing awesome? It's a cliff note, not the not the whole shebang. That makes me very happy. Mm-hmm. So yes, so those of you who have had pain or weakness or whatever it is, I know I have some people who are like I've tried these strengthening programs, nothing seems to work. A lot of times, those things are not targeting the right muscles. I mean, so it, for all these different reasons, if you feel like you've tried things and it just doesn't work, I would encourage you to do some research, see if you can find a good um, healthcare provider in some way. Um, physical therapy, of course, obviously we're huge advocates of that, but there's other good options too, you know? So with the point being that be your own advocate and I would encourage you to try again because just because someone, someone told you there isn't anything you can do, that doesn't necessarily mean that that's true. Um, so be your own advocate, feel free to reach out with questions. And Jess, thank you for sharing your story. I appreciate that. Thanks for having me, Public pain is not an easy thing to discuss, but I think that a lot of women deal with it, and a lot of them don't have any solutions in front of them. Um, And Mm -hmm. so hopefully this can be a light for them. Yes, I hope so. I'm also happy to answer any questions or if anyone just wants to, like, vent. Yeah, there you go. So... I will not give Jess's personal information. No, now, probably not. But if you do want, if but in all seriousness, if you do need to, or it would help you to talk through that with someone who understands directly, then um, if you want to send me a message, I will have her reach out to you. Yes, absolutely. All right. Thanks, Jess. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Heal at Home Moms. I'm Dr. Jenna Bice. If you need any further help, you are welcome to find us on healathomemoms.com. We are on Facebook, Instagram, and I also offer telehealth for those of you far away who need some one-on-one consultation and in-person concierge mobile physical therapy. So if you are in the Chattanooga, Tennessee area and you are looking to heal, I am here for you. 